But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 Father, I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to live within me. It's your Spirit that empowers me to daily live a life that pleases you. I thank you for the fruit of the Spirit in my life, the result, the evidence that you are working in and through me. Today, I am especially grateful that you enable me to walk in love. Jesus, you said that the world will know that I belong to you because of the love I show others. So, I purpose in my heart today to love others as you love them, freely and unconditionally. Thank you for the opportunity to be your hands and feet, to love and to give and serve just as you did during your earthly ministry. Open my eyes to the hurting people around me and use me to be a force of love in the lives of those who need it, especially those who are the most difficult or challenging. Help me to give of myself today and to sacrifice for others who cannot repay me. Lead me, Holy Spirit, to greater heights and depths of love each day I live. I surrender all that I am and all that I have to you, to be used for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me today. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, your host for Heroes in the Bible. If you've been enjoying this series, please write a review and let us know how this podcast has impacted your life. Welcome to the Epic Adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. I'm glad you're here with me as we mine the depths of this renowned tale. In this episode, we are introduced to a very important new character, Jonathan, the firstborn of Saul. Jonathan is pure, courageous, and has the loyalty of his men. In this episode, Jonathan's righteousness and trust in God is contrasted with Saul's growing pride and self-absorption. Like a ruler held up to a jagged line, looking at Jonathan gives us a better understanding of just how crooked Saul is becoming. Jonathan's humility will reveal just how prideful Saul has become. 
Jonathan's sober mind will show us just how deranged Saul's mind has become. And lastly, Jonathan's devotion to God will show us just how far from God Saul has fallen. This episode is filled with vivid scenes of epic battles, but none of them are won by Saul. In fact, he will be more of a hindrance than a help. We will start to see just how much of a weight bad leaders can be. This episode begins with a prelude, a glimpse into another space and time when God proved himself faithful. We are shown that God does not need vast armies or charismatic leaders to carry out his purposes. At the end of this episode, we will be faced with a tense moment between Saul and Jonathan. A sword will be aimed at Jonathan's throat, and Saul will find himself captive to his own pride. Will Jonathan's story end before we even get a chance to know him? Will Saul's quick descent into paranoia prove fatal for the people of Israel? Let's find out together in episode three of our series through David, The Failed King and Warrior Son. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Prelude to Chapter 3 Wake up, Gideon yelled. Arise from your beds, for God will give us victory over the Midianites tonight. Gideon took his 300 men and divided them into three companies. He armed them not with swords, but with trumpets, empty jars, and torches. He scanned his modest army. They were greatly outnumbered. God had dwindled down their number from 32,000 to 300 in a matter of hours. Gideon was the weakest man from the weakest tribe, leading an army of 300 against an army of thousands. However, there was a confidence welling up within Gideon. He knew that the Lord had gone before them. Gideon split the three companies and had them placed on every side of the canyons overlooking the enemy camp. Look at me and do as I do. When I blow my trumpet, you will do the same on every side, he said. The jars above their torches made the light disperse giving the illusion of thousands instead of hundreds. Gideon looked down at the Midianite horde below. They were vast like the sea. Gideon gulped and closed his eyes. This is it, he said to himself. He looked across the hills and saw his 300 men surrounding the camp. All was quiet for a moment. 
Then Gideon raised his trumpet to his mouth and blew. It echoed across the canyons, and 300 trumpets joined in. For the Lord and Gideon! The men shouted. The sound of trumpets bellowed and quaked across the canyons. The sounds of war shook the ground, and the Midianite army awoke in a confused frenzy. The Israelites broke the jars in their hands, and the piercing sounds of broken glass frightened the livestock and kill. The animals rose and began to knock their tents into fires. The Midianites were flustered and did not know whether to arm themselves or retrieve their animals. The trumpets continued to wail and make it difficult to think. It was dark, but the torchlights from the hills scattered in a million directions over the camp. They had the appearance of fiery arrows, armed and ready to descend on the camp. A sword for the Lord and Gideon! Every man shouted. The Midianites began to flee in every direction. The confusion sent them into a frenzy, and they began to draw their swords out and fight one another. Gideon listened as the cries of dying soldiers filled the canyon. Gideon sent his army down, and the small number of soldiers picked off the vast army with ease. He sent messengers up to the rest of Israel, saying, The Midianites are fleeing in every direction. Raise up your swords and slaughter them. So the rest of Israel joined in, finding scared Midianites and slaying them. God revealed something to Gideon that night. He revealed he is able to use the weak and small in number to accomplish great things. He does not need a vast army of soldiers in glimmering armor. He desires a willing hand, a humble spirit, and a heart that seeks him. Chapter 3 The Failed King and Warrior Son The iron pulsed with heat as the blacksmith gently took it out of the flame. For hours, he attentively forged the metal into finely crafted scales. Each iron scale was placed on a thick leather armor, then laced with newly molten gold. The breastplate was magnificent, truly a wonder to behold. Its meticulously crafted scales shimmered brightly in the sunlight. It was heavy, bright, and could not be missed on the battlefield. Saul held up his new armor with awe and splendor. Now there will be no mistaking who is king when we march into battle, he whispered to himself. The heavy mail was placed on his back and chest. Then the breastplate was strapped tightly to him. It fit perfectly. Saul puffed out his chest and held his sword firmly at his side. He truly felt like a king, and he awaited the day he could ride into battle as the anointed ruler of Israel. As Saul admired himself in the mirror, a messenger came in through the tent. My king, the Philistines have formed a garrison in Geba. Saul turned around in surprise. They were supposed to be headed here, to Michmash. Are you sure they have occupied Geba completely? Yes, my lord. They have settled there and fortified. The inhabitants of Geba were unable to defend themselves. The Philistines marched right in and took it. Saul stormed out of his tent with a messenger behind him. Two thousand soldiers of his newly formed army had marched with him to Michmash in order to meet the Philistines. Are they planning to march any further? Saul asked the messenger. The young man shook his head. Even if they were, my lord, I doubt they would get far. Your son, Jonathan, has planned to march with the thousand men you put under his command. Saul stopped in his tracks. How did you hear of this? Saul demanded. Jonathan sent me himself, my king. When he got word of the Philistine horde taking the city, he marched his men straight to Geba. Saul was speechless. He took his crown off his head and looked at it. 
Its weight almost seemed too heavy for a moment. He brushed his fingers against the engravings. My son is outmatched, he said. We will march to his aid. He thanked the messenger, then gathered his commanders. Brothers, we are marching south to Giba. We leave at dawn. Saul prepared his men to march to his son's aid at Giba. But first, he made sure his armor was sufficiently finished. The firelight illuminating from the Philistine garrison blocked out the stars. The night watch marched round the encampment every hour. Drunken cackles could be heard from behind the short wooden walls. The Philistines had marched into Giba without resistance, and they were celebrating the ease of their conquest. Fifty yards south of the walls, behind the reeds in the swamp, Jonathan stood with water up to his neck. The mud covered him head to toe as he spied on the Philistine garrison. He counted every guard meticulously and timed every march around the fortress. For hours, he stood completely still in the cold water. Finally, when he had enough of a look, he waded quietly back to his camp. Upstream from the Philistine garrison, tucked behind the stony hills, was Jonathan's army. A thousand men crouched under the moonlight. There was no fire. They did not want to be seen by the Philistine horde a few hundred yards away. Jonathan greeted his men with a smile. Mud dripped from his leather armor. He smelled of swamp and dirt. The men covered their noses as he approached. Although Jonathan was not the king himself, he had the loyalty of his men. They followed Jonathan willingly and joyfully wherever he led. Jonathan crouched down on the ground and beckoned for his commanders to kneel as well. He drew a square in the dirt, symbolizing the garrison. He drew an X on the front of the square and pointed. The southernmost side of the garrison is heavily guarded. That is the side facing the road. Then Jonathan drew a curved line around the square. However, there is a stream that circles around the western side that is unmanned. It ends in a swamp that sits less than 50 yards from the enemy. They will not expect an ambush from that end. The commanders were in agreement, and they assembled their men. Jonathan stood before them. The moon illuminated his muddied face. He raised his sword in the air and said, For too long the Philistines have subjugated our people. They have taken our land, kidnapped our children, and had their way with our women. We shall not meekly surrender to them any longer. We will stand and fight, for the Lord our God is with us. The men stood firm in silence, ready to follow Jonathan into battle. Jonathan cleaned his sword, sheathed it, and led his men back into the stream. The moon's presence retreated back into the horizon as dawn approached. Still under the cover of darkness, Jonathan led his army through the swamp and close to the enemy garrison. They waited for the precise moment when the night watch shifted. Then, with the command of Jonathan, the men charged. Jonathan was the first to burst through. Although he did not have his father's size, no one in all of Israel had better sword work. Jonathan swung his sword like a brush to canvas. With every swing, the Philistines grew more afraid to approach him. The thousand men shouted aloud and stormed the fortress, catching nearly every Philistine off guard. It only took a few hours for Jonathan and his men to overpower the Philistine camp. Every man was either killed or fled back west. Jonathan stood at the gates of the garrison, freeing each family that had been taken captive. As he united them and escorted them back to their homes, nobody knew he was the Prince of Israel. Saul and his army of 2,000 marched swiftly to Geba. 
Plumes of smoke rose in the distance, and Saul feared the worst for his son. The men settled at the top of the hills above Geba and camped there. Saul sent out men to scout of the battlefield to ensure it was safe. They returned to report Jonathan's victory. Saul smiled, puffed out his chest with pride, and rode with his men down into the fortress. He came in with trumpets sounding and flags waving. His arms were stretched out wide as he entered the garrison. With a booming laugh, he shouted, <laughs> Let all the Hebrews hear of our victory! The men behind him cheered. Jonathan was nursing the wounds of a few men when he saw his father enter. The sun reflected his father's shimmering new armor. It was blinding for the men who had had a long night. Father, Jonathan said with a tired smile. He beckoned Saul to come near. Saul dismounted his horse and greeted his son. You should have seen the men's bravery, Father. They were excellent. The Lord was before us this day. Jonathan said, gesturing to his men. Saul embraced his son and laughed. <laughs> All of Israel will know of our victory here. Saul exclaimed. This is the victory we needed to let the Philistines know we are not a weak nation that can be trampled upon. This is the victory that will get more men to join our army. Jonathan bowed humbly as his father left to gather messengers. He pulled them in close and said, Take trumpets into every city of Israel. Tell them of my victory here and have more men gather with me at Gilgal. The Philistines will be looking to retaliate and we must be ready. The messengers took trumpets into every city, village, and town in Israel proclaiming Saul's victory over the Philistine garrison. Every Israelite heard it said that it was Saul who stormed the fortress. No one heard of Jonathan's bravery, nor did Jonathan care to have the glory in the first place. The name of Israel became a stench to the Philistines. Before Saul's army, the people of God were militiamen and farmers with swords. However, Jonathan's defeat of the garrison had provoked them to anger. Their hatred was ignited. In a matter of weeks, the Philistines amassed an army of over 3,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen to press up against the nation of Israel. Their foot soldiers were like the sands of the shore, too great to count. Their presence was fierce, like a wild beast prowling at their door. Panic began to settle into the hearts of the people, and the men who followed Saul doubted their ability to succeed against such a vast army. The Philistines were wise tacticians, not lacking in skill or strategy. Slowly, over the weeks, they sent assassins to kill and kidnap the blacksmiths of Israel, forcing the armies of Saul to carry farming tools, axes, and daggers. Victory was within reach, and the Philistines had not even begun the battle. They came up and encamped in Michmash, to the east of Beth Haven. Messengers of Israel gazed upon the vast army. They were like a swarm of locusts, prepared to devour everything in their wake. Israel feared them, and they knew it. Fear was their first weapon. Saul called the people to join him at Gilgal, the same place where he was ordained as king before them. Samuel would make a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people, and then Israel would descend into battle against the Philistine horde. However, Saul's confidence began to wane as he saw his army diminish by the day. Men hid themselves like dogs in the caves and cisterns. Other men had fled into the lands of Gad and Gilead with their families. Saul marched up the hill towards Gilgal. He could sense the men behind him trembling with fear. 
he knew it was only a matter of time before they too left him. When they arrived at Gilgal, Saul gathered the people and lifted his arms. The sun's glare bounced off his armor, nearly blinding them. Saul stood tall with an air of confidence in his voice. He raised his sword high in the air and shouted, Men of Israel, do not fear the horde of Philistines lurking at our borders. Samuel is coming to make a sacrifice on our behalf. He will lead us in worship to our God, and we will descend with the strength of the Lord on our side. Believe in me as your king. I shall deliver you. The men listening perked up with hope. They were comforted by their king's words and eagerly awaited Samuel's arrival to make the sacrifice. Every hour spent away from battle was more time for the Philistines to gather strength and for Israel to grow more fearful. Saul needed Samuel to come quickly. He cared less for the sacrifice unto God. He cared more about what it would do for morale. However, Samuel's donkey was nowhere on the horizon. Seven days was the anointed time for Samuel to arrive, but it had been a week and there was still no sign of him on the road. Saul paced the camp of his soldiers, growing concerned about their lack of passion. Men began to scatter and leave camp. Saul felt his control waning. Time, not the Philistines, was becoming his true enemy. Each night Saul gathered his men to strategize. However, he had lost their ears. More reports had come in of the Philistine army. More men were being added to their numbers by the day, and Saul was losing control of his men's hearts. The sun had begun its descent over the horizon on the seventh day, and Saul sat at the stone where he was ordained as king. He remembered the lightning falling from the sky and the people scattering in fear. From the very beginning, Saul felt out of control. Even his own coronation had been interrupted. Now on the eve of his greatest battle yet, Samuel was absent. Saul felt a surge of paranoia well up from within him. The people will leave me, he thought to himself. They need to know that the Lord is on my side. They need to know that I am just as anointed and blessed as Samuel. Saul measured the sun's distance from the horizon. He only had an hour left before nightfall. Saul stood to his feet. His heart was racing and his hands were sweating. His eyes darted over to the altar where Samuel would make sacrifices to God. Samuel was the appointed priest of Israel and chosen by God to represent them. However, he was not there, and Saul needed his men to trust him. So out of paranoia and distrust in God's providence, Saul sent for an animal. Bring me the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he said to his servants. The servants were perplexed, but did as they were told. Saul gathered the people together at the altar. He cleaned, prepared, and made the sacrifice before them. He had the violent and savage touch of a soldier. He butchered the animal without delicacy or grace. The beautiful and honorable practice of burnt offerings was reduced to a frantic act of paranoia. Saul's voice lifted up to the heavens with vain and repetitious platitudes as the burnt offerings ascended in smoke to the sky. Saul could feel the people's anxiety lifting as they saw their king worship. All he wanted was for their approval. For years he had been seeking the praise they gave him during his coronation. He longed for their worship. He craved their approval. Samuel ascended the hill at Gilgal. He looked to the horizon. He was pleased that he had arrived before the seventh day was over. Samuel's old legs slowly made their way up the hills. 
he meticulously moved forward, avoiding the holes and rocks along the way. He reached the encampment of Gilgal. Winded from his long journey, Samuel paused and scanned the area. Most of the men had left their sights and gathered at the camp's edge near the altar. He heard chants and prayers being lifted to the Lord. Samuel walked closer, afraid of what he was going to find. Smoke rose to the heavens in the center of the crowd. As he approached the group, Samuel saw Saul at the altar amidst the sacrifice. He was smiling ear to ear, basking in the praise of the people. Samuel's blood boiled with righteous anger. It was not Saul's place to make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. He had overstepped and disgraced the practices of the priesthood with his vain worship. The people made their way back to their tents. They left with smiles on their faces, reassured that the Lord was on Saul's side. However, Samuel knew the real heart of God. He leaned underneath the cypress tree, waiting for Saul to approach. Saul watched the people retreat for the night. He was pleased with his ability to comfort them. The flames continued to rise on the altar. He wiped the blood off his hands and rested the filthy rag on the altar, knocking over some coals onto the floor. The rag burned immediately, and the burning red coals turned cool. He turned and saw Samuel leaning against the tree with his arms folded. Saul, being caught up in the delusion that he was a priest of the Lord, approached Samuel with a priestly greeting. Samuel, the Lord bless you and keep you. His blessing was a counterfeit greeting. It was as empty and meaningless as the sacrifice he had just made on the altar. Samuel peered at him silently. God warned them, he thought to himself. A prideful king for a prideful nation. Saul began to place his hand on Samuel's shoulder, but it was quickly batted away. Samuel stood up straight. Although Saul was a head taller than Samuel, the priest's presence seemed to be looming over the king. What have you done? Samuel asked. Saul feigned confusion for a moment, then looked back at the altar. Oh, you mean the sacrifice? He asked ignorantly. The people were losing heart, Samuel. They were scattering from me and retreating to the hills for safety. And you had not come when you said you would. So I took action. Saul paused to look for validation from Samuel, yet he received none. Growing nervous, Saul continued to ramble. The Philistines have mustered a large army at Michmash. A choice was set before me as king. I could march down without the favor of God, or I could lead the people to the altar of the Lord and make an offering. Naturally, I chose to honor God. I forced myself to take on the role of priest. Forced yourself? Samuel asked. Saul nodded and shrugged. Yes, Samuel. I would have preferred you arrived sooner so you could perform the sacrifice. However, I had to do what... I had to do. You are a fool. Samuel snapped. You have disregarded the command of the Lord your God. He shook his head at Saul and sighed. Saul, your kingdom would have been established forever. You had the opportunity to see the glory and mercy of God bless your hands. But now, your kingdom shall not continue. Saul's eyes widened as he listened to the old priest speak. But Samuel... These are my people. They are... They are God's people, Saul, not yours. Samuel yelled. His voice was booming like the very wrath of God. Samuel took his staff and pointed it at Saul, saying, The Lord has sought out another to replace you. 
He has sought out a man who is after his own heart. He has sought out a man who cares more about pleasing the heart of God than looking for the approval of man. This king shall be prince over the Lord's people. He shall steward God's people well, and it will be his kingdom that continues into eternity. Saul stood silently looking down at Samuel. His words rang in his ears. He looked back at the altar. The flames had dissipated and the wood had split and fallen off the edge. Before Saul could ask forgiveness or give a defense for himself, Samuel departed. All the empty words Saul desired to give him would remain in his mouth. The priest had left. The people were ignorant of Samuel's words to Saul. They did not know that the Lord had turned his face from him. However, Saul knew. He knew his days as king were numbered. Yet he would hold onto the throne for as long as he possibly could. The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/slash the Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The next day, Saul and Jonathan mobilized what was left of the men. The army of 3,000 men had dwindled down to a measly 600. Saul's inability to inspire left his army anemic. They marched to the borders of Michmash and camped there. The Philistine horde was only a few miles over the other side of a small mountain. That night, Saul paced by the fire restlessly. He did not want to go into battle. The Philistines outnumbered them six to one. He knew that they were no match for them without more men. He did not call for reinforcements, nor did he strategize on how to use his men. He simply paced around the fire, paralyzed by fear and faithlessness. Jonathan arose early in the morning to be with the Lord. He scaled the tall mountain swiftly, seeking to beat the sunrise. He raced the sun up the summit and placed himself on a stone resting at the very top. The sun's rays spread across the valley below, splashing the land with different shades of orange and yellow. Jonathan basked in the glory of God. He closed his eyes and breathed in the fresh morning air. He knelt down, seeking God's strength for the coming battle. Jonathan knew that the battle would come sooner or later. However, he feared that it would be the Philistines to attack first. His father had been paralyzed by fear for weeks now. Instead of strategizing or gathering more men, he lounged underneath the pomegranate tree. God's presence brought solace to Jonathan's mind. He scanned the land below with a sober eye, able to take in the terrain that led down to the camp of the Philistines. Their numbers were growing by the day. With each passing moment, the strength of the Philistines grew and the hope of Israel waned. As he scanned the land, Jonathan saw a narrow path through the pass with large, sharp rocks on either side. The path led all the way up to the northern side of camp where the enemy set a watch. 
The path was wide near the Philistine garrison, then bottlenecked closer to the mountain. Jonathan studied it closely. A few men could easily fight a much larger number here, Jonathan thought to himself. He drew the path in the sand and pondered. Jonathan felt the surge of prompting from God. He knew that the Lord would not abandon his people. He had faith that if he marched forward, it didn't matter how outnumbered he was. Jonathan descended down the mountain back to camp. Many of the men were still sleeping below, including his young armor-bearer Cobus. Jonathan snuck into his tent and woke him. He placed his finger over his mouth and whispered, Quick, put on your armor and gather your weapons. Are we marching? Cobus asked, rubbing his eyes. You and I are going over the Philistine garrison on the other side of the mountain, Jonathan said intensely. There was a joy in his voice that Cobus had heard before. Cobus chuckled and scratched his head. At your word, Jonathan smiled, and the two began their ascent up the hill. They reached the top of the mountain and crouched down. Jonathan pointed out the sharp rocks and the path between them. One of the rocks faced northward opposite of Michmash, and the other southward opposite of Gibeah. The large, jagged rocks crossed one another, arching over the path. Jonathan and Cobus could approach the garrison unseen. Then, when they were ready, they could lure the enemy in and fight them in a smaller number. The two of them descended the mountain and hid under the arch of the two rocks. They remained there for the day, watching the guard of the Philistines march around the perimeter of the camp. Jonathan smirked. They had learned their lesson from before. No side of camp was left unmanned. The warrior spirit in Jonathan was pleased that he had left such an impression on them. Noon had passed, and the later hours of the day took away the heat. Shall we report back to Saul and tell him what we have found? Cobus asked. Jonathan did not respond right away. His eyes were locked on the camp. He was lost in thought, wrestling in his heart about what the next step should be. Jonathan turned to his servant with an intense gaze. Does anything restrain God? He asked. Cobus did not answer. He knew the point Jonathan was making. Jonathan gestured to the garrison. Let us go over to these uncircumcised Philistines. The Lord may work for us. If the Lord is for us, it does not matter whether two or two thousand men charge against them. The armor-bearer placed his hand on his master's shoulder and nodded. Do what is in your heart, my lord, he said reassuringly. I and my hammer are with you. Jonathan slapped his servant's shoulder and laughed. <laughs> Very well, he exclaimed. He pointed forward and said, let us cross over to these men that are on the northern guard. We will reveal ourselves to them and make ourselves known. If they tell us to wait where we are, we will know to retreat. However, if they tell us to come to them, we will take that as a sign from God and charge forward. Jonathan felt the confidence in his decision. He was prompted by faith. He did not demand to know the entire strategy of God in advance. He was willing to take it one step at a time, and let the Lord unveil his will with each passing moment. Jonathan did not need the whole plan. He only needed one more step. The two of them stood up and marched forward. Jonathan wore his leather armor with bronze strappings. His sword was securely sheathed on his left side. He did not look like a prince or carry himself like royalty. Cobus marched in pace behind him. His armor was lighter and more frayed at the edges. Since the blacksmiths had been taken away from them, he wore a hammer strapped to his side and three cooking knives strapped to his ankles and waist. They carried themselves like simple messengers. 
the Philistines might even believe they had abandoned Saul and gone to them. Many others had already done that very thing. The Philistine camp was resting on a small hill at the mouth of the trail. The watch saw them immediately. One of the men shouted to the others, Two Hebrews approaching the north side. Few of them <laughs> chuckled. Look at them like rats emerging from their holes. <laughs> they leaned against one another, unthreatened by their presence. Have you come to seek refuge, Hebrews? They chided. Come here to us, and we'll show you our camp. Their invitation was out of jest, but it was the exact sign Jonathan was looking for. He turned to his armor bearer and nodded. Follow me. The Lord has already given us victory. The two of them climbed up the hill on all fours. Once they reached the garrison, the Philistine guards were chuckling at them. One of them came close to mock Jonathan more, but before he could say a word, Jonathan's sword was taken out of its sheath and swung upwards at the man's head. With a quick swipe of his sword, Jonathan cut the Philistine's head clean off his body. The other guards stumbled back in surprise. Jonathan gave them no time to compose themselves. He ran forward like a lion to its prey. He launched himself into the men, swinging into their flesh with veracity. Jacobus was close behind him, swinging his hammer with momentum. The Philistines drew their swords and attacked, but Jonathan was too quick for them. With each advance, he was able to cut them at their legs and ribs. Cobus then came up from behind and smashed their heads in. Jonathan's speed was unlike anything they had ever seen before. One of the Philistines swung down at Jonathan with an axe. Jonathan pivoted to his left and jabbed the man with the hilt of his sword, cracking two of his ribs. Jonathan pushed him forward, throwing him right into the swing of Cobus's hammer. The two of them were in tandem, frustrating every new Philistine that approached them. Jonathan and Cobus slowly backed into the bottleneck trail outside the camp. The Philistines took the bait. Men were only able to enter three at a time. Each time, the two Hebrews were able to handle them with ease. One Philistine was able to gain an advantage over Cobus, pressing the shaft of the spear against his throat. Cobus gasped for air, drew the knife from his side, and thrust it into the man's ribs. Jonathan gained an advantage over men twice his size. Over 20 men were killed before panic began to set into camp. The garrison of the Philistines could hear the slaughter coming from the outside. Judging by the sounds of the screams, they were convinced that they had been attacked with over a thousand men. The two men of God held their ground. Jonathan dodged every attack and blocked every advance. No Philistine could quench the fire of God's spirit within him. The Philistines gathered hundreds of men to run outside the garrison. The two men saw a large group running towards them. At that moment, the Lord of all creation joined in the battle. As if the fist of God itself had slammed against the earth, the ground began to shake. A mighty earthquake shook the garrison, causing a panic to erupt among the Philistines. The earth itself was God's hammer. The watchman of Saul's army peered closely at the Philistine garrison below. He could see that there was a commotion in the enemy camp. He could hear the battle raging but could not make out which warriors had charged. He saw a multitude of Philistines retreating. The watchman brought news to Saul that a platoon of men must have attacked the Philistines. Saul numbered his men. All were accounted for except Jonathan and his armor bearer. Panic began to set in for Saul. Jonathan had set an attack in motion, forcing Saul to attack. 
Bring the Ark of God, Saul said to one of the priests. Pray to God and cast lots to see if we should enter the battle. As the priest began to pray with the Urim and the Thummim, the noise of the battle below grew definitely loud. So loud, it was impossible for Saul to wait any longer. Saul drew his sword and led his men around the mountain. It was at that moment when Saul and his army could feel the trembling of the ground beneath them. God was already in the battle. The Philistines had been tossed into such a confusion that they were attacking one another. Jonathan and his servant were nowhere to be seen. However, it was apparent that the battle could be won. Saul wasted no more time. He charged into battle with his men, taking advantage of the Philistines' confused frenzy. Saul rode atop a white horse with his armor glimmering in the sun. Even the Hebrew slaves who were captive under the Philistines joined in the battle. It was a glorious slaughter, and the drums of war echoed across the valley. Men who had hidden in the mountains heard the battle cries of their brethren. Inspired by the sound of victory, they grabbed their weapons and joined Saul. The Philistines outnumbered the Hebrews, but they were severely outmatched by the God of all creation. The God who had split the seas so long ago was able to split the enemy in half with the power of a few faithful men. Victory belonged to Israel that day, and the battle shifted across the valley to Beth Haven. Saul became bloodthirsty in battle. His frustration over what had happened in Gilgal fueled him in battle. He wanted vengeance. He wanted to feel powerful. Although his men were beginning to grow faint and in need of food, Saul ordered them to press in further. Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have had my vengeance on the Philistines, he shouted. Saul withheld food from his men and led them further into the battle. He placed them under an oath that would doom them to fatigue. Saul's forced oath came from a deep insecurity. He felt powerless and as if his authority was weakened by Samuel's words. So he imposed his will on the soldiers. Their strength was waning and they became more discouraged by the minute. Jonathan had not heard his father's orders. He was far ahead of the rest, sabotaging the Philistines who had retreated in the forest. Jonathan had been fighting longer and harder than the rest of the men. So when he saw honey dripping from the trees in the forest, he took it and ate. He filled his belly with honey, and his countenance brightened. One of the men following him saw Jonathan eating and said, Your father, the king is ordered us not to eat. What have you done? Jonathan continued to eat the honey and marched forward. He turned to the man and responded, saying, My father has burdened you. I have eaten and now feel like I have the strength to press in further. If my father had allowed you to eat from the Philistine rations we raided, we would have victory much quicker. Jonathan did not spend too much time on the matter. He was determined to press further into enemy territory. He could see victory was close. He ran forward with renewed vigor, jabbing his sword into the heart of the enemy. Resisting food became a battle in itself for the army of Israel. The men had grown so hungry that when the day had ended, they rushed on the spoil of war and took sheep, oxen, and calves. They slaughtered them on the ground, eating the meat raw like animals. It was a ghastly sight, and the eating of the blood was directly against the law of Moses. Saul's rash vow had led his men to desperation. Out of that desperation, he caused them to sin. Saul's insecurity as a leader had caused his people to disobey the law of God. 
instead of repenting, Saul dug his heels in deeper, saying, You treacherous people! Compose yourselves and handle the meat correctly! So he led them to make an altar to the Lord, sacrifice the animals, and eat the meat correctly. The entire army rested that night before advancing further against the Philistines. That night, Saul brooded in his tent. They had the Philistines on the run, and the king was anxious to finish the battle. Saul sat beside the priest who was with him and asked, Shall we continue to go down after the Philistines? Will God bless me if I continue? The priest inquired of God, but there was no answer. All of Saul's prayers were met with silence. The Lord had turned his face from the king. Saul buried his face in his hands and shook his head. Instead of looking inward, he lifted his head and looked outward. Someone here must have sinned for God to meet us with silence. Saul said to himself. He stood to his feet and gathered the elders and chiefs who were with him. Saul's eyes were tired, his hair was disheveled, and his beard was haggard. The king drew out his sword and yelled. Who among you has sinned? The paranoia of Saul was leaking out. He swung his sword violently. The elders stepped back in fear as the flustered king raged in front of them. Who broke my oath? Who among you is a traitor? I will slaughter him where he stands. I will kill even my own son if I have to. The people were silent. They all knew that Jonathan had broken the oath to Saul. However, they were more loyal to him than they were to their king. They said nothing even if it meant enduring the wrath of Saul. The king cast lots to see who was responsible for breaking the oath first, and the lots fell on Jonathan. The rest of the men stepped back, and Jonathan stood in front of his father. Saul's jaw quivered and his nostrils flared. He marched up to his son and looked down at him. What have you done? He snarled. Jonathan looked up at his father unashamed. I ate honey. He said plainly, If that means death, then so be it. Kill me where I stand, father. Make an example of me. Jonathan's calm demeanor was contrasted to Saul's frantic raves. Saul lifted his sword to Jonathan's neck. Anger filled his heart. Very well, Saul said harshly. It shall be done. Saul drew his shoulders back, prepared to kill his own son. As the sword came closer to his son's neck, the men interrupted. Shall Jonathan die after all he did for us? They yelled. The Lord is used to give us victory today. The men stepped forward and placed themselves in front of Jonathan. Saul stepped back in dismay. The men protected him and put themselves in danger for him. Jonathan held the loyalty and praise he so desperately craved. Saul put his sword back in its sheath. Without a word, he retreated to his tent. The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/theshy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. A new hero has risen through the ranks. Jonathan has come onto the scene and proves himself to be a man worth fighting for. He is brave, humble, and close to God. In the prelude, we were reminded through Gideon's life that God doesn't need flashy leaders and huge armies to accomplish his will. He needs willing hands, humble spirits, and hearts that seek him. Jonathan embodies these qualities excellently while Saul strays further away from them. This episode is all about contrast. The disjointed army of Israel is contrasted with the organized army of the Philistines. The undying loyalty of Jonathan's men are contrasted with the flighty followers of Saul. Even the humble leather armor of Jonathan is supposed to be contrasted with Saul's flashy golden armor. It is clear by the end of this episode that Jonathan is everything Saul was supposed to be, but sadly isn't. The beginning of the episode shows us how Saul has crumbled under the pressure. With a few years as king under his belt, Saul has become more vain and image-obsessed. Remember what we talked about last episode? Saul is like a golden calf, a replacement for God. The people worshipped him, therefore putting undue pressure on him. It is only fitting that he paraded himself around in gold-scaled armor. Saul's armor is going to be an important icon in this series. It will weave into the story in later episodes, so be sure to look for it. After getting a glimpse at the growing pride of Saul, we're introduced to Jonathan, the prince of Israel. He storms a Philistine garrison outnumbered two to one. It is clear through Jonathan's words and actions that he is a simple man whose only ambition is to honor God and protect his country. Jonathan has no clear ambition for the throne, glory, or praise. This is exemplified in the way he allows Saul to take credit for his victory. Saul takes credit for an achievement he did not earn, but Jonathan doesn't care. All Jonathan cared about was the battle God set before him. Saul and Jonathan are placed before us as two completely different leaders. Jonathan has the undying loyalty of his men. He has no fear and no sense of self-importance. Saul, however, feels the need to be seen and validated by everyone around him, even for acts he did not commit. Ironically, he finds himself continually battling for people's attention, where soldiers naturally gravitate toward Jonathan. This is a theme in Scripture and will be a theme further explored when we meet David. Those who are primarily concerned with the approval of people rather than the approval of God will find themselves without either in the end. Saul desperately wants the people to worship him again. So when he feels their support waning, he makes a grave mistake. Samuel is late to bless the army. 
So the men become unsure if Saul even has the favor of God. Saul, in an attempt to gain their trust, makes the sacrifice himself. This is an egregious error and proof that Saul doesn't truly respect God's law at all. Saul cares more about the appearance of holiness than being holy. He cares more about the image of righteousness than being righteous. He plays the role of priest and tricks his men into thinking he is a conduit for God. He gained the people's trust at the expense of God's favor. Samuel finally enters the scene, rightfully enraged when he sees Saul's sloppy sacrifice spilled on the altar. All his nightmares of a prideful and manipulative king are coming true before his eyes. Saul has sullied the name of God for cheap applause, and he will not let him get away with it. And did you notice the coals? Saul, when he sees Samuel, knocks some coals away from the fire. He is oblivious to them, and they fizzle out behind him. Saul is deep in his own delusion, but Samuel cuts through with a warning. He looks at Saul with his staff in his hand and says, Saul, your kingdom would have been established forever. You had the opportunity to see the glory and mercy of God bless your hands. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out another to replace you. He has sought out a man who is after his own heart. He has sought out a man who cares more about pleasing the heart of God than looking for the approval of man. This king shall be a prince over the Lord's people. He shall steward God's people well, and it will be his kingdom that continues into eternity. Who is this mysterious king Samuel is speaking of? There is another rising hero who hasn't made his appearance yet, but we won't speak of him quite yet. Episode 3 ends with a great battle. Jonathan and his armor bearer takes on a horde of Philistines on their own, proving that God does not need flashy leaders and large armies to accomplish his purposes. Two faithful men who were able to stir up an entire army, huh, which is pretty incredible. We didn't need more reasons to root for Jonathan, but he certainly gives us plenty more reasons when we hear about his fighting skills. But more than that, his sensitivity to God's spirit is put in contrast to Saul's ignorance. Jonathan is very attuned to the will of God, but Saul seems oblivious to it. This is further exemplified by the way Samuel acts when he enters the battle. Drunk with power, Saul makes a rash oath saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have made my vengeance on the Philistines. It is a preposterous oath and completely unnecessary. In fact, it causes way more harm than good. Saul is seeking control because he was late to the battle. At the end of the episode, Jonathan goes against Saul's warning and eats. Saul, in a mad frenzy to maintain the respect of his men, draws a sword to Jonathan's throat. This is the most intense image we have explored yet. Saul, in this moment, is prepared to kill his own son for the sake of his pride. But Saul is not just pointing a sword at his son. He is pointing a sword at the small sliver of righteousness that remains in his heart. Jonathan represents Saul's last remaining connection to God. If he kills him, that will be the end of it all. Jonathan's men come to his defense. Saul, embarrassed, leaves. We're all left at the end of this episode with a bad taste in our mouths and a growing sense that Saul's prideful heart is bound to get the best of him. He has darker moments ahead of him. In the next episode, we will see him at his lowest, and we will witness God's patience wearing thin. When is this promised king going to show up? Hopefully soon. 
Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to Pray.com. If you've been enjoying this series, please write a review and let me know how this podcast has impacted your life. God bless. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.